Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I want to invite you all to use your imagination for a moment. I want to invite you to use your imagination, and this is what I want you to imagine. I want you to look at the row on which you're sitting. Everybody's got different amounts of people on your row, but just just look at the row, your section. You know, over here you got, you know, nine, ten chairs, whatever it is. The middle section is a little larger, and over here, look, look at your row and your section. Okay. Now I want you to imagine that you're sitting around a poker table with those who are in your row in your section, and I want you to imagine that. You're going to play a little game of poker with those in your row and in your section. Now, you know, I, I realize when I say that, that uh, that's going to bring out a couple of different reactions from people. Uh, some of you are already sizing up the competition on your row. Uh, others of you are sizing me up. What in the world is he talking about? Why in the world is he talking about poker we want to hear from the Lord. We want to look into God's Word. Why are you talking about that? Well, let's just imagine, just, just allow me to, to, to run down this, this, this path for just a moment. I mean, I can't be that serious of a card player. I've got some borrowed cards, and they're Batman Forever cards. You know, there's the Joker and the Riddler and Batman. And so it, anyway, but let's just imagine that you're sitting there and you're, you're playing some cards. Look down at your hand. What, what, do you, what do you see in your hand of cards that you've been dealt? See, uh, some of you are allowing this opportunity for your imagination to continue to run, and you see a full house. Others of you, maybe a little more realistic, see maybe a couple of pairs. Uh, Others of you don't play cards, and you just look down and see cards. Uh, But whatever it is, you look down and you see something. Now, if you don't play cards, if... uh, that's something that you don't do, Uh, then let me give you a a little tutorial uh, on this. Um, In a game like poker, there are different hands, and different hands are better than others. Uh, If you have three of one card and two of another, that's called a full house. That's very good. Uh, If you have two of one card, that's called a pair. That's decent. If you have just a bunch of cards that don't go together at all, that's not very good. Uh, and of course, I learned all this by playing a lot of Yahtzee as a kid, right? I mean, that's how I learned these things was playing Yahtzee. But, you know, there's all of these different hands and different ones are better than others. And if you can imagine if you're sitting around that table and you're playing cards with this group of people in your row and you're looking at your hands, uh, knowing that certain hands are better than others will influence how you play. It will influence how you play. If, if you think that you've got a really good hand, if you think you've got a flush or a straight or a full house, then you're eager to play that at first opportunity. You're eager to play it. If you think that you've got a bad hand, you want to either hold those cards to your chest or you want to fold at first opportunity. That's just the reality of playing cards. You've got a good hand, you're excited to play it. If you've got a bad hand, you want out or you want to keep it to yourself. You know, I, I tell you that, and I, I walk through that exercise today 
Um, not just to give you a, a tutorial on cars. You, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree if you're going to come to me for advice in this category. Uh, but I was thinking about this because I think that there are some similarities to the way we might play a card game and the way that we relate to others in conversation. I think that there's some similarities. You realize that when you get together and you talk with a group of friends, that you're really playing a card game with your dignity and pride. They're the chips that you're going to play. We may not think of it this way, but sometimes we do. And I guarantee you've been in a situation where you have certain stories that are like the cards in your deck, certain experiences that you've gone through that are like the cards in your deck. And if you think that that story is a good story, then you're willing to offer it up to the conversation to keep things moving. But if you think that when you play your story, it's immediately going to be trumped by somebody else's story, that might encourage you to keep it to your chest, to keep quiet. Let me give you some examples. Let's say you're with a group of friends and you say, hey, guess what? We spent the weekend at Six Flags and the kids and it was great and it was Dallas and we were staying at the roadway. And you get about three-fourths of the way through that story and somebody else goes, you know what? We spent two weeks at Disney World. We stayed in Cinderella's castle. We know, so you, they're just sitting there like, oh, man, I thought we had a good story with the weekend at Six Flags. You stayed in Cinderella's castle for two weeks. How can I compete with that? And then another way that it happens is somebody says, you know what, I'm really not feeling that well. I'm kind of ill. I, I think I maybe have the flu. And somebody else says, you know what, the doctor told me I have a week to live. You know, it's like, well, I just want to retract that. I don't want to play that story if it's going to immediately be trumped by somebody else. And you know what, we all have been in situations like that, right? We've all been in situations where uh, we have stories, we have cards that we play, but at times when we play those cards, they immediately get trumped, and that discourages us from ever sharing those cards again. That's true in our conversations with others, it's true in a game like poker, it's also true, I think, in the way that we share our spiritual stories. It's also true, I believe, in the way that we share our spiritual stories. See, many times we think that our spiritual story is nothing more than maybe at best a pair of twos. Why would we want to play a pair of twos if somebody else has a better story that looks more like a full house? You know, I I was thinking about this topic and thinking about the way that we handle the stories of what God has done in our lives. And I was thinking about that as I read the opening verses of Paul's letter to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, we have been looking last week and this week at some messages from this great letter. And we're going to look at another one today as we look at the book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. And really, we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this question. Uh, Two of a kind? Two of a kind? See, Timothy, 2 Timothy is a letter written from one man to another, from Paul to Timothy. And when you look at their lives, it's really interesting. We have to ask the question, are these really two of a kind? Are these two men really two of a kind? What draws them together? What allows their spiritual stories to have any kind of intersection? Are they two of a kind? I think by looking at that, we'll get some deeper insight into our spiritual stories as well. And we're going to see three things today as we look at this topic, two of a kind, from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. So if you've got a Bible, open there. Uh, we're going to be bouncing around a bit today, but we're going to, we're going to begin uh, in 2 Timothy. Uh, the first thing that I really want us to see today 
is I want us to ask the question, which hand looks like a winner? Which hand looks like a winner? You see, I, I said earlier that 2 Timothy is a letter written from one man to another, from Paul to Timothy. There are two hands that look nothing like two of a kind. Because when we look deeper at their stories, they're very, very different. And when we evaluate their stories, I want us just to ask the question, which one of these two men has the winner testimony? Okay? Uh, we're going to look at the two men, Paul and Timothy. The, the, Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, actually begins with a declaration of who wrote this letter. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. You know, when we write in our day, we put our names at the end, right? We say, you know, dear Kimberly, love Mark. If I was to write a letter to my, to my wife, my name goes at the end. It was just the opposite in the ancient world. Uh, the, the name of the author would go first. So when Paul puts his name at the beginning of the letter, what he's saying is, hey, Timothy, this letter's from me. This letter is from the apostle Paul. And when you think about what is Paul's story, what is Paul's te testimony? And you know, you may be very familiar with Paul's testimony, or, or you, this may be the first time you've ever interacted with the person of the Apostle Paul, but it's helpful for us to get a grasp on just who Paul was. And Paul had a story that he told quite frequently. As a matter of fact, Paul told his story at one, at one point in the book of Acts chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 2. If you want to turn back there, we're going to read a, a fairly long section of Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 2. Uh, but this was one of the times when Paul was arrested, and when Paul was arrested, he went before a trial, and he, at this particular trial, he told his testimony. And in Acts 22, verse 2, this is what Paul said about his testimony. He says, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, this is Paul speaking in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. Paul begins his story. He says, I have the best of both worlds. I am a Jewish person. I grew up with a, the scriptures of the Old Testament handed to me and taught to me. I had all of that going for me. But I also have going for me that I am from Tarsus of Cilicia and that I'm a Roman citizen. I have the best of both worlds. I have the privileges of Rome and the spiritual deposit of the Old Testament. That's what Paul's saying when he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicily. And then he says that he was trained under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers. He was trained under Gamaliel, the best training of his day in the law of the Old Testament. And he says that he was just as zealous for God as many of you are today because he persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. See, Paul was saying not just that he was a Jew and not just that he was a Roman citizen and not just that he had training under Gamaliel, but also he was a terrorist. He was someone so sold out to the system of, uh, kind of the twisted system of Judaism in his day 
that he was willing to persecute any that were seen as in opposition to that, including the early Christian church. See, Paul was a terrorist against the early Christian church. And he's heading to Damascus to arrest some more people. In verse 6 it says, But about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment I was able to see. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and to beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You know, that is Paul's story. And it's a pretty impressive story. It's a full house kind of story. It's a story of someone who was a persecutor of the church, someone who was a terrorist by our contemporary terms who came into a relationship with Christ, saw Jesus appear to him on the road to Damascus and has a total 180 in his life and begins to serve Christ and to share his love with all the people in the Roman world. That is a significant life change. That is a story that is a full house, a four of a kind, a royal flush kind of story. That's a pretty impressive story that Paul had. But you know, when you think about it, Timothy had a story too. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul references that this letter is to Timothy. In in chapter 1 verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my dear son. This is tying these two men, these two of a kind together, Paul and Timothy. Timothy's testimony, though, is quite different from the Apostle Paul's. See, in verse 5... Paul references Timothy's life in his early years. While Paul spent his early years killing Christians, Timothy spent his early years with his mother and his grandmother. Verse 5 says this, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Uh, We get a little more insight over in chapter 3 in verse 15 when it says that Paul says to Timothy, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, Timothy grew up in a Christian home. 
at least half Christian. Timothy's father was not a believer, but his mother was and his grandmother was. And he grew up from an early age being taught the scriptures, being taught the letters of Paul, being taught the teachings of Christ from a very, very early age. It says even from infancy in chapter 3, verse 15. You know, it's, when you piece together Timothy's history, he lived in a town named Lystra. And Paul, in Acts chapter 14, visited the town of Lystra on his first missionary journey. And it's thought that during Paul's ministry in Lystra, Lois and Eunice must have come to faith in Christ and then taught their son Timothy the way of the Lord. Timothy grew up believing that so that by the time Acts 16 comes around and Paul makes a second trip to the town of Lystra, Timothy at this point is a young man who is walking with God. And in in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, it says that Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in their numbers. You know, it's just interesting that Timothy's testimony was quite different than Paul's. Timothy grew up with a mother and a grandmother that taught him the scriptures. He grew up from an early age believing in Christ. And then at, in his teenage or early 20s years, began traveling with Paul around the Mediterranean telling others about Christ. His testimony was quite different than Paul's. But what's interesting is that the two of them end up in ministry together. We saw that at the end of the verses we just read in Acts 16, going town to town, talking to people about Christ. Now let me ask you, if you were Timothy and you were on a missionary trip with Paul, and Paul shares his testimony, do you want to follow that? You know, that would be a difficult testimony to follow. Paul says, let me tell you what God has done in my life. I was walking down the road to kill Christians, and Christ appears in the sky, and then I went blind, and then I went into town, and I, God pulled away scales and spoke to me audibly and said, this is the mission I have for you, and you're to go and you're to share this message with people all over the world. And so that's what I've done from this day to that, and I've been beat up and persecuted everywhere I've gone. That's my story. Timothy, your turn. And Timothy would say, Well, my mom and my grandma heard him speak and tell his story many years ago, and I've never grown up doubting the fact that Jesus was my Savior. Now, let me ask you the question. Which story do you think is the winning hand? Well, if we're going to play this like cards, we can imagine that Timothy might have wanted to keep his cards to his chest because Paul's testimony seemed like the winner. Let me ask you a question. Which story do you resonate with? Which story do you resonate with? You resonate with a Paul kind of story or with a Timothy kind of story? You know, Paul kind of stories are are stories like Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, who was a part of the Nixon White House and was arrested for wrongdoing and 
ends up in prison, and in prison he comes to faith in Christ, and he leaves prison, and he starts Prison Fellowship Ministries, which has a tremendous impact in this country and around the world, and, and just an incredible 180 change in a very public sense that Chuck Colson has had. That's a Paul kind of testimony. Another Paul kind of testimony is that of the Aka Indians in Ecuador. When Jim Elliott and his friends landed on a beach to tell the Akas about Christ, they were, they were killed by the spear of the Aka Indians. But through a series of events, God brought the gospel back to that tribe, and many in that tribe came to faith in Christ. And some of the actual murderers of Jim Elliott went on to be leaders in the church in that area, and even speaking to areas, you know, tribes around their region sharing Christ. That is a Paul kind of testimony. Josh McDowell, who as an intellectual set out to disprove Christianity, found evidence that convinced him otherwise, and he placed his faith in Christ. That's a Paul kind of testimony. Are are you one who has had a Paul kind of testimony? Or are you one that has more of a Timothy kind of testimony? Timothy kind of testimonies are those who have grown up around the things of God and, and never remember not trusting in Christ. This is the testimony of many that have grown up in the church. That's the testimony of my wife. She grew up around the things of God and never remembers of time that she doubted that fact. Do you resonate more with a Paul kind of testimony or with a Timothy kind of testimony? Or there's really a third option, and that is neither. If these are like people in the card game, are are you not even in the card game? when it comes to having a story of what Christ has done in your life, because you're on the outside looking in at this point. You're still checking things out. You're observing as people share their stories of what God has done. Where are you around that table? Which testimony do you resonate with? Well, the first thing we ask ourselves is which hand is the winning hand? But really, when we think about that and evaluate that statement a little more, uh, here's what we find. Both hands are a case of King High. Both hands are a case of King High. Now, if you don't play cards, that statement needs some explanation. See, if you're playing a hand of cards and and no one around the table has anything good, everybody's hand is somewhat jumbled with various cards, then the winner of the hand will be the one who has the highest valued card. And the king is pretty high, and if nobody has anything, somebody who has a king in their hand has a chance to win King High. And what's interesting to me is when Paul thought and considered his story and Timothy's story, he came to a very simple conclusion. Neither Paul nor Timothy had much in their hand. As a matter of fact, Paul would go on to say that no one on this planet has a hand good enough by ourselves. So the way that you have a winning hand when it comes to your spiritual story is not by how many pairs you have of good deeds that you've done and not by how many full houses you have, by how wonderful your family is, but by whether or not the king is present in your story. Let me tell you what I mean by that. First of all, we see Paul's attitude towards Timothy's story is not that it's second rate. Paul's attitude towards Timothy's story was actually a very, very, very high view. Paul was very excited about the story uh, that Timothy would share. He, he, he honors him for it. He says, you have faith that has been in you from an early age. Praise God for that. 
Paul's excited about what God has done in Timothy's life. And the reason why is because Paul knows that all people are in this difficult spot. And Paul says in his writings in the book of Romans, it was another letter that Paul wrote, he tells us many things about the condition or the state of all of our lives. See, Paul says, and this would have been truth that Timothy would have been well aware of, and you may be well aware of this too, but Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of, the, of, of God's perfect standard. None of us, to put it in our, terms of our analogy, have a winning hand by ourselves. All of us have just a jumbled set of cards by ourselves. None of us have a winning hand. All of us fall short of God's perfect standard. And that's not a truth that needs a lot of illustration for us. We're well acquainted with the fact that none of us are perfect. We're well acquainted with the fact that all of us have sin in our lives. And the problem with that is really what Paul says in chapter 6 of Romans, verse 23. And that is that the wages of sin is death. In other words, because we have a bad hand, there is a payoff that is due. Because all of us have sinned, there's a death sentence that has been handed down to us. And that death sentence will result in eternal separation from God. After we die and leave this planet, we would spend an eternity in hell if it's just up to us. Paul knew that that was true. He knew that that was what our cards were going to lead to. But the great news is, he tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, that God demonstrates His own love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, if our sin, if our imperfection, if our bad hand requires a death sentence, then Jesus came in order to take that death sentence that we deserve. And if Jesus takes that death sentence, then the penalty is paid, and we now have the incredible gift of being able to spend an eternity with God in heaven. Now, the way that that becomes actuated for our lives, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, is this. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, what Paul says there is that it's not by getting better cards in our hand of ourselves, it's by taking into our hand, receiving the King, Jesus, who died for us. If we receive His death on our behalf, then our death sentence is paid, and we have the opportunity to have life with Christ in heaven for eternity. You see, when, when Paul looked at the situation... He says, the only good that I have and the only good that Timothy has is that we have the king in our hand. It's not about how good my story is and it's not how good his story is. It's about how good the king is and what he is offering to us. Because Paul knew that it took the exact same amount of grace and mercy in the blood of Christ to forgive him as it did to forgive Timothy. It took the exact same thing. 
You know, an example of that might be if you imagine the front of this room. This would be really cool if we could have pulled this off, but, you know, we're not going to. But if we had a, a big plate, a big, big glass window right there. And then over here we have another big glass window. And, and, and on the stage was a 12-gauge shotgun pointing in this direction. And on the stage was a BB gun pointed in this direction. If I were to take that 12-gauge shotgun and to shoot at that window, what would happen to the glass? Blown out. Completely gone. Maybe a couple of shards hanging on the edge. If I were to take a BB gun and come over here and just... Just all the way up across there, what would happen? Lots of little pits in that glass. Lots of little breaks. Some of them might go all the way through. Lots of little pits in the glass. Let me ask you, how much glass would it take to repair both windows? Exact same amount. It would take the exact same amount of glass to replace both windows and make them whole again. And you know what? Paul knew that truth. Paul knew that it took the same amount of grace and mercy to forgive him as it took to forgive Timothy. And so that's why when Paul looked at the situation, he didn't say, I've got a better story than you. Let me share it and you be quiet, Timothy. Paul writes in Scripture for all of us to see Timothy's awesome testimony that he came to faith at an early age because his mother and his grandmother taught him. What an awesome, awesome thing that is. Now let me go back and ask you that, the question that we started with. Now which hand is the winning hand? Well, the obvious answer is both of them are. Because they've got the king in their hand. Now let me ask you the question for you personally. Which of the testimonies did you identify with? Which of the testimonies did you identify with? If you identified with the Paul testimony, this is what that truth means to us, I think. I think that this principle, what it, what it means, if, if you have a Paul testimony, is, hey, don't get too excited about your part in the story. You know? Don't get too excited about your part in the story. God has certainly done something great in your life. That is awesome. But you know what? That was, that was God's work. It's not that you got so smart and figured it out. It's that God had done an amazing thing. And when you tell your story, tell it and tell it often. But when you tell it, make sure the king is lifted high. Because he's the one that has brought about this change in your life. And when you tell that story, you don't have to go back and glorify your past. Because you know as well as anybody that your past is not something that is glorified. Your past is something that required death to pay for. If you're Timothy, if you have a Timothy testimony, what does this mean for you? If you have a Timothy testimony, I think this, this truth means, wow, you have an awesome testimony to share. You have an awesome testimony to share. Imagine this. What this truth means for us is that you were destined for hell were it not the fact that Christ died in your place. You weren't just grandfathered in because of some family clause that, you know, your great-great-grandma signed a deal and everybody for generations to come is paid for like some trust fund baby. No, that's not the way it works. You have grace extended to you because the Savior of the world snatched you away 
from an eternity in hell and ushered you into the presence of God for eternity. Now, I think that's a story that's worth sharing. Whether you come to embrace that at age 10, 12, 2, 5, 25, 55, whatever it is, that is an awesome story to share. That's the best news that has ever happened to you. Why would we keep that to ourselves? Some have a Paul testimony. Some have a Timothy testimony. If you're here today, though, and you're just observing the game as it's being played, and you've heard people talk about what God has done in their lives, but you don't know if that has had any impact on you in a, any kind of a, a direct way, uh, and you're just kind of observing this, just consider the truth of what this means. Because you have, and I have, and all of us have, sin in our lives, we're like a cracked window that needs replacing in order to be in the presence of God forever. And what Christ is offering is an eternity with Him because He loves you. If you just would receive it by faith. He's not asking you to patch the window yourself. He's not asking you to to ask for more cards so that you can end up with a pair or a full house or whatever. He's asking you to place king high in your hands. Paul and Timothy are a case of king high. The question is, are we? Third thing I want us to see today, this is where we're going to end up, is that I'm going to give you a challenge. That challenge is to play your winning hand often. Play your winning hand often. You know, I began, if, if you had a great hand in cards, you would want to play that hand a lot, right? You're, you just can't wait. You know, it's, it's, it's like the opposite of the poker face, right? You're just like, I can't wait. Oh, I've got a great hand. There it is. You, know, you just want to play it so much. You know, we've got such an incredible thing that God has done for us that we ought to be excited to share that and to share it with others in as many different times and seasons and opportunities as God makes possible for us. Uh, you know, that, that's really what is said in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. See, Acts 1, 8, Jesus is ascending to go back to the Father, and as He ascends, He gives His followers a charge. And the charge that He gives His followers is this in Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's just so interesting. There's a lot we could look at in that verse, but I just want to focus on one aspect of it. He says that you will be my witnesses. I've said this before, but he doesn't say you'll be my defense attorney. You'll be my prosecutor. You'll be my persecutor. Never, never says anything like that. Jesus says you will be my witness. You'll be my witness. What does a witness do? A witness shares what they've seen, what they've experienced. They share their story. What they know. I think what God is calling us to is to remember that we have a winning hand. So we should play it. We should be willing to tell our story with others. Because, you know, we we might be so familiar with our story that it's lost some of its luster. But it's a wonderful picture of the grace of God. And and stories are a, a powerful way that God has given to help encourage each of us in our faith. Regardless of where we sit around that table. You know, my story 
at one level, when I think about it, it's like, well, this is, my story's just not all that impressive. I mean, I don't know if you think about this, but I, I think about it. At times, I just like, man, my, my story is not that impressive because, you know, I didn't see a light. I didn't, wasn't walking on a road. I wasn't killing anybody. I wasn't, you know, just all these things. None of those things were a part of my life, so I really don't have that exciting of a story. But when I stop for a moment and get my head right and realize that my story is a story of going from death to life, from hell to heaven, from enemy of God to child of God, that's an important story to share. And I think back to, to the way that God got that message through to me. I, I grew up in the church. I spent all these Sundays going to church and Sunday school and all that stuff and all my time growing up, uh, but none of it ever made any kind of deep sense for me. I, I, I'm sure at some level I, I knew a lot of things, but it wasn't on a, on a deep spiritual level at that point in my life. But I remember my sister went away to college, and while she was at college, uh, she got involved with um, a group on campus and began to share her faith in some different ways. And she came home one time and shared with me this, this truth that I just walked us through, that we're sinners and that, that Christ died for our sins. If we receive it by faith, we can have an eternal life. She said, Mark, have you ever done that? And I, I remember when she asked me that question, you know, the last thing I wanted to be, I mean, I was like 15 years old. The last thing you want to be is no, no, I've, I've never heard that before. You know everything at 15. So I was like, absolutely, I know what you're talking about. Absolutely, I've trusted in, that, in, that, in, in, in Christ, and I've prayed prayers and all this. Day. I'm with you, Debbie. That's awesome. You know, that's, that's what I communicated to her. But I remember going back to my room that night thinking, wow, I have never come to grips with that truth. But I didn't know what it meant. I ended up spending time going uh, to a youth group for the next nine months basically just thinking if there really is a hell and there really is a heaven then maybe I should get on God's team and I didn't remember the specifics of what she said but I knew it had something to do with Christ and so I went to a Christian church and I was plugging in and Easter Sunday that year our youth leader walked us through an exercise where I realized the depth of my sin and I placed it before Christ and realized the forgiveness that he offered me and I just remember the euphoria of that moment and what God had done in my life. That was my story at the outset. And God has done much in my life since then. You know what? That's a story that if I held to myself, I think that the, the body of Christ and, and people around me would be missing out on something. And I say missing out not because I think that I've got a great story to share or that I'm so good, because, but because it is an example of the work of our Savior. It's a king high moment. Let me ask you, have you thought through opportunities for when you can play your winning hand, when you can tell your story? You know, one of the things that you can do that might be helpful to think through is to think through three different kinds of testimonies that you could share. Three different kinds of testimonies you can share. I, I've, I've talked about this with groups that have gone on mission trips with us um, and different things, but it's helpful to have three different kinds of answers to share. You know, one of them is the one-sentence story. The one-sentence story. Um, and the, the reason why a one-sentence story is important is because there's a lot of times that that's all you have. Somebody says, how are you doing? You know, what do we say? Good. We say that because we haven't thought through anything else, and we know they don't want to really get into a conversation. Somebody says, you know, hey, tell me about, your, tell me, tell me about you know, growing up in church. So at times, there's only like, a sentence to get out. 
Say, you know, I grew up around the things of God, but I didn't come to know Christ as my Savior until I was 16 years old. That's a one-sentence summary of a longer story. Another possibility, if you have a one-sentence version, you also have a three-minute version. Now, if you're like me, three minutes is hard. You know, I, I, I can talk for an hour easier than I can talk for three minutes and say something significant, right? Um, but, but, you know, sometimes you have about three to five minutes. What, what could you share in three minutes? That's kind of the version of the story that I shared with you earlier. Have a three-minute version. And then also have a dinner conversation version. Now, there will be times, and I, I got together recently with uh, uh, someone I hadn't gotten together with before, a, a member here at Wild. We had lunch, and we were just kind of sharing stories of our lives together. And that was over lunch. It was over a meal. It was an hour long. It was more in-depth and more detail. Um, that's a great place to, to talk about that, too. But, you know, when you think about your story, you think about the winning hand that you have, think about it in those three categories. What can I say about what God has done in my life in a sentence? What can I say about what God has done in my life in three minutes? What can I say about what God has done in my life over dinner? And just thinking about that does two things. One, it reminds us that God has done something awesome for us. And two, it allows us to not stammer and stutter when the opportunity presents itself for us to play our hand. See, what is your attitude towards your story? What is your attitude towards your story? You came in today thinking that you had a story that needed to be held to your chest. Otherwise, it would be trumped by the person sitting next to you. I want you to pull those cards out, and I want you to see King High and the glory of God. He has done an awesome work in your life. And if you came here today, and you're not yet in the game, it is my sincere prayer that you would receive into your hand the King. Because that is the way we win in this life. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the time that you have given us today, and I thank you for your grace. I thank you for this truth and for the fact that you don't just work building mountains and creating canyons and painting sunsets, but you work also in individual lives and you call us by name. And Father, you, because you work in that way, you have authored an awesome story in each of our lives. And Father, I pray that each of us would embrace your work in our life as an awesome gift from you. We thank you. And I pray for any here today who have not yet received the King and His death on our behalf that they would do so by faith this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.